to High Heels and Heartache. I'm your host, Kendall Ann Berg. Thank you so much for joining me today. So this episode is all about passive aggression. And I wanted to get more information on that topic because it's been something that I could always feel from people, but I could never define it. Like I would see a behavior and I would know it was passive aggression, but I never had the words to describe it. So I went out and I found the person who literally wrote the book on passive aggression. Her name is Signa Whitson. She's fabulous. We talk all about passive aggression. Um, we talk about the behaviors that people use if they're passive aggression, aggressive. We talk about the different levels of passive aggression. We talk about what makes people passive aggressive. It's really an awesome conversation. And she answered all of my questions about what in the world is passive aggression? Because I think it's one of those terms we sort of loosely use, but no one really knows the definition, but now you will know it. All right, before we get to the interview, I just want to give a shout out to everybody out there listening, especially those who are listening outside of the United States. High Heels and Heartache has been downloaded in 31 countries, and I'm just so honored that you would listen to me. So if you are in Bulgaria, Armenia, Slovenia, South Africa, Iran, Zimbabwe, Brazil, Austria, the UAE, Jamaica, Kenya, Norway, New Zealand, France, Germany, Denmark, Mexico, Australia, the UK. Hey, what's up? Thank you so much for listening. Um, And also thank you to those who are listening in the good old USA as well. So Coming right up, Signa Whitson. She's going to tell us everything we need to know about passive aggression. Hello and welcome back to High Heels and Heartache. I'm here with Signa Whitson. Hi, Signa. Hi, Kendall Ann. So something very funny is Signa and I are both Baltimoreans. Woohoo! That's right. Baltimore in the house. (laughs) So Signa is an author and internationally recognized speaker with over 20 years of experience working with children, teens, and families. You present customized training workshops for, for professionals, parents, and students on topics related to bullying prevention, digital citizenship, managing anxiety, anger in children, and changing passive aggressive behavior. You also present things about intervening effectively in crisis situations in schools and treatment organizations. Wow, that's a lot. It is a lot. Especially as I hear you say that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm (laughs) a long biography. Um, In your articles, your books, and your trainings, you provide down-to-earth practical advice for navigating the daily challenges of living and working with children, tweens, and teens. And you are a mother of tween and teen daughters. So you can relate to parents on a personal level. Uh, You know what? I really try to. I don't think anybody wants to hear someone give sort of technical advice or advice from a book. I know I don't. I would much rather be real and practical. Yeah. Yeah. You're also the director of counseling at the Swain School in Allentown, PA. Correct. And you're the chief operating officer of the Life Space Crisis Intervention Institute, which is an international training and certification program for turning crisis situations into learning opportunities for children and youth with chronic patterns of self-defeating behaviors. That's a mouthful. And I know from your book that sometimes being passive aggressive is a self-defeating behavior. I learned that. That's exactly right. The the Angry Smile book was written through the LSCI Institute. So there's the connection right there. There we go. And other than um, your book, The Angry Smile, you also have written books about anger management. um, And you have four books about bullying prevention. And you know what's so funny? Actually, when I was reading The Passive Smile, and um, when you talk about how people use social media... Passive aggressive people use social media. I was like, oh my God, when I was a middle school teacher, I could have really used this. Oh, yeah. Because those girls are relentless. That's, there's sort of a progression to how all of these <laughs> things came about in my career. And certainly, um, bullying and relational aggression, my interest in those subjects came because I had first been working in this area of passive aggressive behavior, and they are absolutely connected. 
That's, that's awesome. Okay. So my first question in your book, you have a lot of really funny names for passive aggression, um, hostile cooperation, compliant defiance, and my favorite that made me laugh so hard, sugar-coated hostility. I love that. <laughs> um, but can you define what passive aggression is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, like you, prefer the term sugar-coated hostility because to me, it is it just nails it. it that's yeah. exactly um, what it is and makes it relatable. But to be a little bit more technical, um, the way we define the book is to say that it's a very deliberate but also a masked way of expressing feelings of anger. And um, as I'm sure we'll talk about today, passive-aggressive behavior isn't one thing. It is a whole collection of behaviors. And what they have in common is um, that they're all designed to get back at another person without that person recognizing um, their underlying anger. So Mm. maybe, maybe a better way to say it is, The passive-aggressive person um, is typically, they sort of fear their own anger. They think, you know, having the experience of anger makes them bad. So they can't go right out there with it. Um, They can't be out there with their hostility. They have to sugarcoat it. Um, They have to sort of smile on the outside, but um, with their comments, with their actions, sort of get revenge in a very subtle way. And... um I was really surprised by a portion of passive aggression that you talk about because you note that there's a second outcome for the person who's being passive aggressive. Can you talk a little bit about that secondary outcome that the person that's being passive aggressive gets? Yeah, absolutely. So in our study of the passive aggressive personality, um, what it is and sort of what a passive aggressive person gets out of their behavior one of the things we found is that they are satisfied because they get someone else to act out their anger for them. Uh, the second element, though, is that the passive-aggressive person really gets this secondary pleasure out of frustrating other people. And that's where the inspiration for the, the title of the book came from. It's an angry smile. It's the smile on the outside, the secondary pleasure out of frustrating other people, um, but it's all driven by hidden anger. Gotcha. So that's really where passive aggression comes from, is that the person is angry, but they can't just scream at you or (laughs) do something else to overtly show their anger. They have to do all of these kind of covered things to get out their anger. That's exactly right. And it's, you know, for a variety of different reasons, um, people develop these this personality type or people use passive aggressive behaviors, but what they have in common is they have a belief that their life is only going to get worse if they express their anger directly. And so they find all of these hidden covert um, under the radar ways um, to express that anger because anger is a really powerful human emotion and it's really hard to just squelch it. It has to go somewhere. But if it's not going to come out through aggression and it's not going to come out through assertive behavior, it tends to come out in these very passive, aggressive ways. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the behaviors um, that passive aggressive people employ. You have a ton of them in your book. You talk about like 13 different ways. So let's just chat about a couple of them. So what do passive aggressive people do? Like if you think that someone in your life is passive aggressive, what could you kind of be looking out for them doing? So, yeah, I, I think there's 13 listed in one list in the book, and I could probably just off the top of my head come up with 13 more, and then you could probably <laughs> list 13 more. There's just so many ways that it shows up. But I think one of the most, you know, recognizable, relatable traits of passive aggression is that someone will appear to be frustrated or hostile, and you'll say, hey, are you mad? And they'll say, no. And you'll say, are you sure everything's okay? And they'll say, yes, I'm fine. Um, And you might ask one more time, are are you sure you're not mad? And they'll say, no, whatever. One of the things we know is, you know, because passive aggressive people sort of fear the emotion of anger, they're always finding ways to sort of verbally deny or repress that feeling. Um, They tend to withdraw, they sulk, they give the silent treatment. Um, You know, they say, fine, whatever, nothing's wrong. They do all these sort of surface things. to make it seem like everything's okay 
while covertly, um, they're definitely feeling something very different than what they're showing on the outside. Okay. So some of those might be that they, you write, they send hidden, coded, and confusing messages when they get frustrated. Yep, absolutely. Um, You know, another really common one that people can relate to is procrastination. Um, (laughs) And all of us procrastinate, right? So if you've ever procrastinated in your life, that doesn't necessarily mean you are a passive-aggressive person or even that you're being passive-aggressive. But a really common trait of most passive-aggressive people is that if someone asks them to carry out a request, and it can be something super simple, like if you ask a child to empty the dishwasher, um, or in a workplace setting, if you give someone an assignment, um, and they don't like that assignment, they resent it, or the child doesn't feel like uh, unloading the dishwasher. The thing is, most kids learn from an early age that they just can't say no to their parents about the dishwasher. And most employees know that you just can't outright refuse to do a task at work. Um, So instead, you delay, you put it off, you come up with excuses, you take sick days. Uh, In one way or the other, you procrastinate. um, But you always have some kind of plausible excuse. You know, I'll get to it. I've been really busy. Oh, I wanted to do it, but I just forgot. You know, the the plausible excuses could be endless, but what you do is you delay and you delay and you delay, and ultimately you frustrate the person who was asking you to carry out the request in the first place. Um, And in that way, you sort of transfer some of the anger that you had been feeling um, at being asked to empty the dishwasher or to do the task at work, um, and you get the other person to act it out. Oh, so you're kind of like giving them your anger. That's exactly what it is. Huh. And really, I mean, if you're taking sick days and things like that, like your employer can't really be like, why didn't you do that while you were sick? But you know exactly what you're doing. Yeah. And that's, that's it. There's always a plausible excuse. Um, and one of the things that passive-aggressive people are expert at doing is casting themselves in the role of the victim. Like, gosh, my boss is so uptight. They just want me to do everything. I get all the work around here. Or, you know, my mom is so unfair. She makes me do everything. She doesn't make my little brother do anything at all. Even when I'm sick. Yes, you got it. Um, Gotcha. they're, They're just great at putting themselves in that position, which also puts, you know, the mom, the boss, the supervisor on the defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and makes them sort of question themselves. Was I being irrational? Was I being unfair? When really what they were asking the person to do was usually very routine, very ordinary, you know, nothing exceptional. And I thought that was so interesting too. In your book, you say that passive aggressive people create minor but chronic irritation in others. That's exactly it. <laughs> most of the time what I'll hear is people say, like, I don't know what it is about that person. They just make me feel like I'm on edge. Um, And another thing I hear that's actually, um, that's really sad is I'll hear someone say, I feel so terrible. I totally blew it. I just completely yelled at my student for doing this. You know, all they did was ask if they could sharpen their pencil and I completely yelled at them to sit down in their seat. You know, I acted so unprofessionally and I'll ask them a little bit, you know, more, well, what, what did make you yell at them for asking to sharpen their pencil? And they'll say, well, you know, I think the thing was they came into school and all day long, it was just one little thing after the other. They didn't give me their homework. They had an excuse for why they left their pencil at home. They didn't put their items in their locker, you know, all these little things. Um, and again, you know, I'm giving you different different contexts. Sometimes it's at home, sometimes it's at school, sometimes it's in a workplace, sometimes it is in a relationship. Um, But whatever it is, we see the passive-aggressive person doing this series of seemingly minor things, but for the person who's on the receiving end, all of those things are accumulating, just like drips of water in a glass, and at some point, the recipient overflows. (laughs) And then they get their anger out. And then the passive-aggressive person can say, what are you getting so mad about? All I asked was to sharpen a pencil. Oh, gotcha. So can you talk a little bit about 
why people become passive aggressive adults. Because in the book, it describes really four kind of pathways for getting there. Yeah. Can you kind of go through each and and we'll talk about them? Sure. Yep, absolutely. So uh, what we find the most common is that um, a person who develops a passive aggressive personality, um, and let me just say, we do distinguish in the book between people who make a choice to use passive aggressive behaviors here and there, and I think we all do it here and there, um, versus people who have a passive aggressive personality, meaning that in situation after situation after situation, sort of no matter um, no matter who they're interacting with, passive aggressive behavior is just their behavior of choice. That's like so, their go-to. That's their go-to strategy. They sort of react to anyone and everyone in an authority position with this kind of sugar-coated hostility. And so what we think that that mainly comes from or most commonly comes from is when a young person grows up in a home where anger is not accepted or, or anger is really to be feared. So the most common might be a child who grows up with parents who are explosive or verbally abusive or physically abusive. That young person grows up knowing if I get angry and I tell my parents that I'm angry, I'm going to get in a whole lot of trouble. Whether it's I'm going to get a tongue lashing, whether it's I'm going to get a spanking, something bad is going to happen to me if I'm direct with my parents about the fact that this made me really angry. But anger is the most basic of human emotions, right? Kids get angry. Um, And when they learn that they can't be outright and direct with it, um, what many kids try instead is this more passive, aggressive way of dealing with their anger. They don't tell their parents they're mad, but they show them through these various types of sulking, withdrawal, pouting, procrastinating, you know, you name it. So that in, in this kind of pathway to being a passive aggressive adult, you have seen as a child that if you are angry, your anger is met with even more overpowering anger. So you're better off not getting angry. Perfectly said. Gotcha. Perfectly said. Gotcha. Um, the other is, is similar uh, in that a young person still grows up believing that anger is bad. Um, but it's not because they face sort of repercussions, you know, physical repercussions or a verbal tongue lashing. It's because um, there's some kids that are, just grow up in families where there is this like spoken or unspoken standard of goodness. And by that, I mean, like this is a family that really wants to keep up appearances. They have the perfect house with 2.3 children and the white picket fence and every picture they post on Facebook is just perfect. And they're always, you know, doing the right thing and involved in the right activities. Um, and in those kinds of families, those things just aren't okay. You know, and kids internalize that message. They get the message that like nice girls don't get angry or good boys don't cry. But again, those, they have feelings, you know, they're young people, they're teenagers, they have these very natural emotional reactions. And if they can't be genuine um, and talk about their anger, they usually find ways to subvert it, to act it out in these covert ways. And it was really interesting because in the book, you kind of say about the, um, that that's, that's called be good. I'm putting that in quotations. You can't see it, but like I'm doing the quotes. <laughs> that, doing that's the quotes. be good socialization. Absolutely. Before the person becomes passive aggressive, there are these other two things that kind of happen first. Like they have physical symptoms because they can't get their anger out. They, They project their anger and then it sort of turns into this passive aggression. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to give you another uh, resource out there, your listeners, another resource. Um, Rachel Simmons has a book called The Curse of the Good Girl. And um, it's not about passive aggressive behavior, but it is about this very similar pressure that is on a lot of children, but we see it on girls more intensely than we tend to see it on boys, um, which is this idea that um, anger equals bad. And good girls would never be out there with their anger. You know, the sort of, it's not ladylike. And I hope that that's becoming more and more old-fashioned. I hope that we're in an era where girls can have their voice and it's okay to to teach them um, to use their voice with dignity. Um, But I think that that's been a pressure. And it still is one that um, 
you know, that we have this curse of the good girl and it's not okay to show a natural emotion like anger. Because if you don't, it, it doesn't just go away. Absolutely. Your and anger you know, doesn't just dissolve into thin air. You, you, your mind <laughs> and heart find different ways of kind of getting it out, don't they? Yeah, there's a quotation we use in the book, and I can't, I can't think right now of who the or- originator of the quote is, but um, the wording is, nothing grows stronger or becomes more powerful than an unexpressed hostile thought towards someone else over time. Oh, so the anger true? does not go away. It needs to come out. Um, and the skill is teaching young people or teaching adults how to express that anger assertively with dignity, you know, in an emotionally honest way. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, when we don't give people the skills to do that, we sort of ask them, you know, hold it in. Um, mm-hmm. It tends to come out in either aggressive or passive aggressive ways. Yeah. So a, th- a third way that people become passive aggressive adults is it's a reaction to dysfunctional or triangular family dynamics. Can you explain that? Sure. This is getting into sort of my uh, technical, uh, <laughs> you know, psychological family dynamics here. But um, one of the things we see is that when young people are sort of caught between their parents, you have one parent who tends to be very strict or very harsh, lots of rules. Um, and then the other parent sort of shares this relationship with the child where they sort of roll their eyes um, about the strict parent, or they maybe don't protect the child when the child really could, could use some protection from an abusive parent. Um, what you see is young people who sort of learn how um, who the safe person to express anger to is and who's not safe. Um, related to this is sometimes we see parents as they're watching, or I'm sorry, children, if they're watching their parents in an abusive relationship um, and they feel badly for the parent who is being abused. Now they know if they speak up against an aggressive parent, life is going to get worse but they can sort of in these passive aggressive ways um, become allies with their parent who's being abused, if that makes sense. Yeah. Their, their parent who's being abused might feel like they can't speak up for themselves, but the child can sort of be their protector through these passive aggressive ways toward the aggressive parent. Gotcha. So yeah, it's complicated. Um, sometimes it'd be easier to draw some of this out on a map you know, <laughs> with a good triangle. Um, but I think hopefully I, you know, Hopefully you have the picture of that, um, how kids get caught between uh, the dynamics of their parents. Yeah. And the fourth way that people become passive-aggressive adults is a reaction to disabling conditions and failed expectations. Yeah. So the simplest way to put this one, I'm a school counselor. Um, I work with a really diverse set of kids of all different kinds of abilities. And what we found is, you know, learning disabilities are invisible. Um, You can look at a child and know that reading for them is extra difficult or math um, doesn't come naturally to them. What we've seen with certainly not all, but many kids with these sort of invisible learning disabilities is they sit in the classroom. Of course, they're held to the same expectation as other kids, but they can't meet those expectations because of their learning disability. Um, And you, hopefully, this is usually before the disability has been diagnosed, but while the child's in that sort of undiagnosed period, they just find themselves falling behind, never measuring up, not being able to keep up with others. And that sort of um, failure to meet expectations creates feelings. And what we see is that those are the young people, before they are met with the help they need, before their disability is recognized and someone gives them the skills that they, you know, helps helps them develop those skills, um, they're harboring this sense of hostility, um, of always being behind, of always being the one who gets the answer wrong or who's left behind. Uh, And they will find different ways to take that out on the teachers, on administrators, on their parents. Like taking forever to sharpen their pencil. Absolutely. (laughs) I have have a student just today. Oh, really? the The teacher came to me and said, you know what? He's doing it again. We get in our reading groups and he doesn't want to read, so he just turns around in his chair and he, you know, he dropped his book and he refuses to participate. 
And you can look at that one way. You can look at that as a child who's just being stubborn. You can look at a child who's being defiant. Or you can scratch your head and say, you know what? Most kids who kids who can, kids want to do well. Let me put it yeah, that way. Yeah. And if they can't, let's ask some questions. Let's figure out what's going wrong. Um, and a lot of the time, a lot of the time, when kids are acting defiant that way, it seems like they want to be a thorn in the teacher side. What's really going on is that there's some disability there. They can't meet expectations. And it's easier to act like the class clown. It's easier to act like the kid who doesn't care than to admit that they're a child who just can't do what their peers can do. And if you're learning that as a kid, this is the way to operate and it kind of works for you your whole life is that you sort of get out this anger without actually having to really let it out. Why would you change? That's exactly right. There's that secondary um, pleasure you get out of frustrating other people, right? Mm -hmm. This student today successfully derailed the teacher's lesson, (laughs) which is sort of what he wanted to do. Um, And for a kid who's feeling powerless because of a learning disability, there is a sense of power you get when you control your teacher's mood and you control everything that's going on in the classroom for a period of time. And it's not because he's a bad kid. I don't think any of these are conscious processes. He doesn't sit up at night and think, I know how I'm going to derail everything. But over time, he has become an expert at deflecting from the fact that he doesn't under, he's not reading well, he's not keeping up with his peers, and he's got to you know, figure out this different way um, to express the frustration he's feeling. And it's so, like, while you're saying that, I'm thinking about people who I've come in contact with as adults who change the feeling of a room and not in a good way. And when you ask them, like, hey, is something bothering you? You get a no or no, I'm fine. Like that kind of like influencing the environment around them. Absolutely. It's a, you're right. It's almost like an energy. It's a feeling and passive aggressive people absolutely create that. And then when the target of the anger, the recipient, the teacher blows up, they can say, what? All I did was turn around in my seat. The recipient knows, you know, that the tide of the room has changed, that there's that energy, there's something different. But um, I always say it's like trying to, passive aggressive behavior is like trying to nail jello to a wall. <laughs> That's right? so true. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. It's slippery. It really yeah, it's, is. It's, it's just like a feeling. Yes. It's like, you know, you know that the person is doing it. But again, you can't say, well, why did you take a sick day? If you're well, their boss. Because you absolutely can't. It's illegal. Yeah. 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 So... One of my favorite lines in your book that like, really had me laughing was passive-aggressive people use a diverse and sophisticated arsenal of guerrilla warfare tactics to express anger and hostility towards others in covert but successful ways. I loved that. <laughs> I thought that was so funny because it's so true. It is like, so true. Yeah. When you're talking about like nailing jello to the wall. Like just when you think you figured out like how to get the passive aggressive person in your life, like not to procrastinate, they have moved on to the new thing. Absolutely. So you talk about there are actually five different levels of passive aggression and they range from normal to like things that all of us have done at least once in our lives to pathological. So let's talk about all those levels. So level one, you describe as temporary compliance. So what is that? Right. So I think all parents um, out there will be able to identify with this one. Temporary compliance is when a child uh, verbally agrees to carry out some sort of request, but they behaviorally delay. Um, and so I, I've seen tons of memes about this on the internet. You know, a parent will say, okay, put on your shoes. We've got to get out the door for school. And the child will say, okay, I'm going to do it. And then the parent comes in and the child is, you know, still in bed or still watching TV. And the parent will say, well, honey, you got to put on your shoes. We got to be out the door in a minute. And the child will say, okay, yep, I'm going. You know, they keep sort of agreeing. Uh-huh. Um, 
and three, four, five more requests the parent makes. And then all of a sudden the parent is screaming, we got to get out the door right now. Get your (laughs) shoes on. Why do I have to tell you 10 times? And the child would be like, jeez, my mom's yelling. Mom, did you not have your coffee yet this morning? Um, and how many, how many of us does that happen to, you know, as parents, we go off to work and we think, oh, why did I lose my cool again? It was just over a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. But that's the dynamic of temporary compliance at play. It's seemingly minor, but it's because the young person, the employee, the husband, the wife, whoever it is, they yes you to death, but they mm-hmm. don't actually do anything. And it drives the recipient <laughs> crazy. And this is where you talk about, like, this is like, just like drops in the bucket. Yep. And little things. you don't really notice the drops in the bucket until the bucket is overflowing. And yep. now you are angry at the person. Absolutely. That's exactly it. And then the person who's the recipient of the passive aggressive behavior, they've exploded. And now they have to apologize very remorsefully because they know they blew it. But here's the thing, and, and they might owe the child or the employee um, or whoever it is uh, and a, a genuine apology if they really did, you know, overreact. But the thing with that apology is that then it confirms the passive aggressive person's belief that anger really is bad. And thank goodness I have control over my anger because I don't want to be a yelling, screaming lunatic like my mom just was or like my teacher was or like my boss was. So you've, you've just confirmed for that person, anger equals bad. That's the danger. You got it. And that these little covert ways aren't, aren't anger, so to speak. This is just kind of the way that they operate. Yep, absolutely. And it's things like, you know, sarcasm also. I love a good sarcastic person, um, but there's sort of funny sarcasm and there's biting sarcasm. Yeah. Um, and the biting sarcasm of a passive aggressive person, the, the little ways that they insult you or, or, you know, sort of call you on everything, it adds up like water in a bucket and you uh-huh. finally react. And then the person says, gosh, I was just kidding. It's just a joke. joke. Yeah. Oh, so the second level is intentional inefficiency. And I got to be honest, one time I did this with my mom when I was young with loading the dishwasher and it totally backfired on me. Just, you only did it once? I think I, I know I, I've done this today. I tried to do it once and my mom, what she did was she took everything out of the dishwasher and showed me where every plate and bowl and spoon and fork should go. So after that, I was like, I'm just going to do this right so I don't have to hear her explain this to me yep. ever again. Well, good for your mom. That, that's, that's the proper way to handle it. Yep. So you so what intentional inefficiency is is you com- if you're a passive aggressive person you comply with the request but you do it in an absolutely unacceptable way. Absolutely. So I'll give you another example and this is my daughter. Fortunately a few years ago um but we had asked her to feed our cats a super super simple, right? It's like a scoop of food, a scoop of water. Um and it's dry food, you know, it's not even wet food that would be smelly. Um, And on any normal given day, that's her chore. She didn't mind doing it. But on this particular day, she was watching something that she wanted to watch on TV and Uh she wanted to wait. Um, And at first it was like, okay, you can wait till your show's over. But it was probably a movie or something like that. Whatever it was, the poor kitty cat was hungry and meowing. Um, And we gave our daughter the option of pausing the TV. You know, she didn't have to miss anything. (laughs) when she finally got up to do it, um, you know, she, she said, okay, mom, I'll do it now. Um, she went, she did it. We hear the water going, we hear the food going. She goes back, she watches the movie. Um, and we were like wondering why the cat is still meowing and still making all this noise. So I go and I check and it's because she has put the, the food in the water dish, which still had water in it. And she put the water in the food dish, which had a few morsels left in it. So the cat had two bowls of mush. Um, And she, you know, when I went and asked her about it, she had the angry smile on her face. She goes, what? Oh, oops. I must have been dark back there. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh-huh. You know, this is one of these routine chores that she does all the time. Yeah. She didn't want to do it. 
she knew that she didn't really have a choice, um, but she found a way to express her anger, her discontent with having to do the task. Hmm. And usually um, one of like the kind of nice outcomes of intentional inefficiency you write is that the requester usually ends up doing the task and the passive aggressive person wins because it justifies their behavior. They get to make the requester angry and bonus, they aren't asked to do that again. You got it exactly right. And that was my husband's um, response. The whole cat food uh, escapade. He said, <laughs> yeah, all right, Hannah, if that's how you're going to do it, from now on, Ellie gets to do it instead. That's our other daughter. Uh-huh. And Hannah's sitting there watching the movie. I'm like, perfect. That's exactly what I wanted to have. <laughs> And you were like, no, now you have to do it for the rest of your life. And even when you move out, you have to come back here and feed this cat. But, but see, the way your mother handled it with the dishwasher... That was the appropriate way. Instead of you know letting the the passive aggressive person win because you don't ask them to do that chore anymore, your mother had you sort of <laughs> learn the hard not the hard way. It's not about punishing, um, but she explicitly taught you the proper way, sort of calling the bluff, um, pointing out, all right, this is exactly how to do it, and um, this is what the expectation is. That's one way that we counter passive aggressive behavior is be by is by being super crystal clear with what our expectations are so that they can't do this sort of intentional inefficiency. Well, it worked because then I was like, I don't want to have to he- sit through her explaining where a plate goes in the dishwasher. I'm just going to do this right from now on. Well done, mom. Well done. <laughs> so the third level of passive aggression, this one, I was like, what? This is when passive-aggressive people let a problem escalate. Right. So um, there are some things that kids do or adults do, but this level three is about what you don't do. It's about knowing that something is going to go bad. You have the information. You know that things aren't going right, um, but you also are going to take some pleasure in watching things go wrong And so you withhold that that information or you don't do what's needed to solve the problem. Um, Real quick example, this this will stick out in my mind because it was one of the most uh, obvious behaviors and it's probably 10 years ago now, but I was um, working in a residential treatment center where we had um, students uh, who lived in our treatment facility. And um, we had a young man who got up in the middle of the night and he went to ask staff if he could use the bathroom. Um, But the staff was on a phone call and they just sort of shoot him off. Mm -hmm. And the young man was very angry that he got shooed off. He didn't get to make his request. So he's walking down the hallway back to his, uh, his room and he sees that there is a washing machine um, that does all the kids clothing and it is overflowing. It's, you know, the whole thing like, Bubbles, soap, water, just flooding oh, out of the God. machine all into the floor. And the boy had every opportunity to go back to staff and be like, hey, the machine's overflowing. And this is normally the kind of kid that would have done that, but he was pretty angry at being blown off by staff. So instead, he went back to his room, went to sleep. And it turned out the next day, there was like $3,000 of damage to oh the floor, all the things that got destroyed. You know, a part of the floor had to be replaced. Um, And the reason I know all this was because the young man was a client um, that I worked with, and he was very um, proud of himself as he told me, (laughs) you know what? I could have done something about it, but I decided not to because so-and-so wouldn't pay attention to me when I had a question. So that, that right there, that's letting a problem escalate. That's a passive-aggressive revenge. And you, and you, in the book, you call it a crime of omission, but you say the passive aggressive, aggressive person doesn't feel bad because they didn't do anything. That's exactly right. This young man, he wasn't the one who overloaded the washer. He can honestly say, well, I didn't do anything. It's what he didn't do, which was go and get the adult's help um, that allowed the flood to happen overnight, you know, and just get progressively worse until there was all that damage that was caused. Yeah. So the fourth one, I think, is where we kind of start to like really get into serious 
issues with causing serious damage yeah. is um, hidden but conscious revenge. And in this one, it's covert but definite action. So can you talk about hidden but conscious revenge? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, level three, it's what the person doesn't do that causes the problem. But level four, you're right. We totally turn a corner here um, beyond just sort of the everyday situational passive aggressive things that probably most of us can say we've done at one time or the other. Level four is much more intentional. There is just generally a higher level of hostility that goes with this one. It's the things that we do um, that will really cause some damage to someone else's work, to someone else's reputation. Um, We see lots of things in the workplace where employees don't like their boss or they don't like the team that they're working with. So they sabotage other people's documents or they sabotage a team goal. Um, There's a lot of the relational aggression and the bullying behavior that comes in here at level four, especially with how popular social media is, where young people feel like they can't go up to someone and look someone in the eye and directly say, hey, I don't like what you did or that hurt my feelings, but they can post an embarrassing photo online of that person. They can make passive aggressive comments. Um, They can spread rumors through text um, or posts that go viral. Uh, So that's kind of what we're talking about at level four, these very purposeful intended actions, but ones that are still sort of hidden. Um, Hidden because they're happening online instead of face-to-face. Hidden because it happens in a workplace um, and you can sort of spread the blame among a whole team instead of making it obvious that you are the person that sabotaged this group project or whatever it is. And when I read this in the book, I kind of felt like levels one through three, like temporary compliance intentional inefficiency, letting the problem escalate. Those were kind of things like in the moment that just sort of happen, that the person just kind of makes this choice. They're given a stimulus and they choose to respond in a way. But for me, level four was like there was like planning into what they were going to do to get out this anger. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's a perfect way to put it. The spontaneity of the first three levels versus the planning, the intention, um, the premeditation of levels four and five. It it definitely represents a a higher level of pathology, but um, also a more intense level of anger. Yeah. So the the fifth level is self-depreciation. Right. So these are kids who, um, and I'm just going to use kids in this example, but it happens with adults as well. Uh, Kids who may be harboring so much anger or resentment or hostility at their parents that they feel like they can't uh, just honestly express or be assertive with. So they'll figure out ways to actually hurt themselves um, Mm -hmm. in ways that will sort of embarrass their parents. And I mean, I can think of a million examples of this. you know, kids who get multiple tattoos, kids who get multiple facial piercings. Um, some of that is just a choice of style and it might not be passive aggressive at all. But if you have one of those families that I mentioned before with, you know, the 2.3 children and the white picket fence where everything is supposed to look perfect. And then you have one child with, you know, the eccentric hair color, or the piercings or the tattoos. There's no way that this family can, um, you know, sort of maintain those appearances of being so perfect anymore. The young person is willing to behave sort of outrageously, um, change their own appearance or whatever it is to be able to, you know, sort of take down this fantasy perfect family life that their parents have created. Um, Another thing that happened with a close friend of mine in high school, uh, her two older sisters had gone to medical schools, or I'm sorry, to Ivy League colleges, and they were going to go to medical school. Um, And then she came along, and she was a really artistic child, but her parents would not let her go to art school um, because they wanted her to go to the same Ivy League college that her two older sisters had gone to. So she sort of dutifully Um, gave up applying to art school and she got her Ivy League applications and she wrote on all of her essays, I don't want to go here. This school (laughs) sucks. 
my parents are making me. Um, If you accept me, I'm not going to come. Like really outrageous things. And sure enough, guess what? She wasn't accepted to any of those schools. (laughs) What a shocker. Yeah, what a shocker. So come the spring, all of a sudden when she's not into any colleges, her parents in this very high achieving family are all of a sudden trying to convince her, you know what? We really think that you should apply to art school, which is exactly what she wanted to do in the first place. Oh. Um, so she got what she, she got what she wanted and it's sad and it's unfortunate that that's what she, the way she had to do it. Um, and I, I know her still, I don't think she is a passive aggressive person now, but in her particular family dynamic and situation, it was the only way she could study what she wanted to study. Um, and you know, who knows what opportunities she could have had. She probably could have gone to an Ivy league school, um, if that had been what she wanted to. So who knows if she sabotaged a different future? Um, she did what she thought was necessary at the time. And there's, um, there was one part in the book where you talk about a case study where a child gets mad. So he stops brushing his teeth. Yes. That's another, um, everything in the, everything in the book, um, all the examples we use are all real and they come from people I've worked with, people my co-authors have worked with and stories that are submitted to us by people who have taken our training. Um, but that one happens to be um, a student that I worked with and uh, yeah, I, I probably don't need to explain too much more, right? A young person who is so has so much pent up anger at their parents for a variety of things. Um, they decide that a way to get back is to completely neglect their hygiene. Um, which did hurt the parents. It did frustrate the parents to no end, um, but it also didn't have a great impact on this young person's social life either, you know, uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. So and, and not just the social life, but health too, right? Yeah. It's important to brush teeth. So when we're going through the, the, dip, the five different levels, they kind of start as kind of benign into unless you're the person that's on the receiving end of these irritating acts to that a passive aggressive person who is to the stage where they're kind of pathological in their passive aggression is willing to for lack of a better word hurt themselves in order to get their anger out at whoever the target is correct yeah and one of the things that i advise in the book and i I feel really strongly about, passionately about is, you know, there are kids that will do things. They'll engage in these level four and level five behaviors. And on the surface, it makes it seem like, you know, they're being really obnoxious. They're being wicked. Why would they, um, why would they do this to their college applications? Why would they do this to their teeth or to their face? But what I feel passionately about is that as adults, we need to look beyond sort of the noise of this behavior and see for someone to go to these, these lengths, this is a person who's really hurting. This is a person with a lot of anger um, who doesn't know how to express it. We've got to reach out to them. We can't let them push us away. Yeah. We've got to reach out to them and help them deal with their anger and express it in ways that aren't so self-destructive. So kind of what I'm hearing is it's sort of like passive being passive-aggressive is the symptom and the problem is the anger. Exactly. So exactly. It's, it's the anger that needs to be addressed. I mean, you have to address if kids aren't brushing their teeth or like my mom, if you know your kid is <laughs> purposefully not putting things in the dishwasher correctly, you have to deal with that. But you also have to deal with, okay, why is this person feeling this level of anger? And why twofold. Uh, Can they not tell me that they're angry? What's going on to make them feel like this is the only way to get it out? Yep. Actually, I'm so glad you said that. Another big point of the book is um, that if we are parenting a child who is using passive aggressive behaviors, you know, at level four, level five, or just habitually, this is the way they're responding to us. We've got to look at ourselves and just think, what conditions am I creating? where my child feels like they can't tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do I need to change so that I can be okay receiving my child's anger? Um, and that doesn't mean that um, a parent's being a bad parent. I think for a lot of us as parents, like 
parenting is a full-time job and most of us have other full-time jobs too, right? It's an emotional job. We knock ourselves out trying to be good parents. Um, but sometimes our kids get mad and that doesn't mean we're failing as a parent. Um, we've got to be able to just think, how do I accept that? How do I know, how do I reassure them that it is okay for them to be mad at me and I can take it, I can handle it. I want them to be able to be honest. I'm not going to I'm not going to be mad at them for being mad at me. I'm not going to, um, you know, fall apart because my child has some natural anger. And it's, I mean, when you talk about being in relationships, it's not like your partner is going to stop brushing their teeth to get back at you, but <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. If you are seeing these passive aggressive behaviors, you, you need to think to yourself, okay, if you're in a healthy relationship, let's figure out how we both can communicate when we're upset with the other person. Absolutely. And it'd be, oh, it's okay to be angry. Like it's, it's all right if you can communicate that effectively. Yep. Another quote I use is, uh, do not teach your children never to be angry. Teach them how to be angry. That is so good. Yeah. So giving them the skills they need to be able to be assertive, honest, um, direct with their anger in very dignified ways. But if we're going to encourage kids to be assertive, we also have to be willing to accept their anger when they mm -hmm. express it mm -hmm. in these polite ways. Okay. Well, your book goes into a ton of stuff about how to deal with passive aggressive people. And one day, hopefully you'll come back on the podcast and talk to us about that. I would love to. I would love to. Yeah, there's, a, there's a lot to say on this subject. I know we thought we were going to get further. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you a lot to say. You've given us so much great information, and I think, you know, I think that you've been able to really articulate. When I was talking about how the person changes, like the energy in the room, now I know what to look for. When before I didn't really know what to look for, but that drop in the bucket feeling—that is right on. Absolutely. I, I tell people, if you feel like you are just on a perpetual emotional roller coaster, one day it's good, the next day it's bad, and you're up and down, chances are you may be dealing with a passive-aggressive person. That's really good advice. All right, Signa. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. Yep. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Signa Whitson for being on the podcast today. I feel like I have so many more tools now to be able to identify passive aggression in my life. And also I can define it. So that's always a good thing. If you want to check out Signa's book, please visit the show notes and there's a link to where you can purchase it and all of her other books. Additionally, check out the social media pages for High Heels and Heartache because you might be able to win a free copy of the angry smile. If you are in an unsafe or violent relationship, please know that there is help. You can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. Again, that number is 1-800-799-SAFE.